I'd like to thank my coworker. His name is Damon, and he's been helping me uh, work my podcasts. Um, you know, getting them edited and getting them cleaned up to some degree. If any of you have been listening, I, I don't know if you've noticed the change, but it's cleaned up quite extensively. And uh, I just wanted to publicly thank Damon for helping me. He is getting the Word of God every Sunday um, and really enjoy it. In fact, I just checked before I hit record, and we're up to 121 listeners. Nice. Praise God. That is, that is just amazing what God can do with technology. So if you don't know how to reach it, you can Google Pastor George Johnson, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church, and it will pop up. Put in podcast, put Pastor George Johnson podcast, and it will pop up and you can listen to it on a lot of different venues that you can pick it up from. So we're in our second week of Advent Praise God. We talked last week about what Advent meant, the coming celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've been listening to a lot of Christian messages, you know, trying to say, Lord, what, what, where do you want me to go next week? What do you want me to really talk about? And I heard this one guy, he was preaching on Joseph. And he said how righteous man, a man, Joseph was. And it struck me when I heard that. I thought, you know, I know so very little about the guy. I thought, how interesting is that? One of the great patriarchs of the Bible that we really don't even know who he was. The Bible gives us really very little about him other than that he was a righteous man. So I started looking at these and I, you know, I seen a lot about Mary and John the Baptist. Oh man, John, what... Put so many things in there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Apostle Paul. But we hear so very little about Joseph. So let's read a little bit. The first scripture I'm going to go to is Matthew 1. Start with verse 16. It says, And Jacob begot Joseph, which was the husband-to-be of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who we call Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. It's amazing how detailed the Bible really is, how specific. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, which was engaged, what that meant, to Joseph, before they came together. Does everybody understand how the Bible uses that come together or came into? It means they have never had sexual intercourse. We're adults. We can say it. They had never come together. But they were engaged to be married. She was found with child... Of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Can you even remotely get an idea of what Joseph was going through? 
We're going to talk about why he made the decisions he made, but think about it for a minute. This beautiful young lady you are engaged to be married to. In this time, in this culture, do you know what Joseph was doing? He was at his dad's house building a house, adding on to the house to make room for her. This is what the cultures did. He didn't go out and separate like we are today. They all lived together. And so when you get engaged, you go to your father's house and say, Well, Dad, where, where do you want to put the room? Well, how about over there on the west wing? Let's build it over here. So he was busy building a home to take Mary to and to have a future family. And then he hears this news. Hmm. How could he possibly deal with that? Matthew 20, verse 20 says, But while he thought about these things, believe me, he was thinking about it. Anybody here ever been in love? <laughs> you ever been hurt? It's devastating. This was devastating news. That she was going to be with child and it wasn't his child. So he thought about these things, and behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you, my friend, you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, so that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Verse 24 says, So then, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until, he had, until she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Did you guys pick up on that line too? That he did not know her. He kept her pure. If we could see the qualities of Joseph, then you'll see indeed that Joseph was a righteous man. A man that we as men and women should aspire to be like. In these times, a man betrothed to a woman, he would go back to his father's house and he would start building a house for his wife. And that's what was happening. John 14, 1 and 4 says, Let your heart not be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house is full of many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. 
and receive you unto myself. See, this is exactly what Joseph was doing for Mary. The same promises for you and me. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. A place for you. Each one of us. In heaven. Oh, you all not, you, you're sleeping. You, you all get it. This is exciting news. This is exciting stuff. He's building a place for us. And we take it so lightly. Why? Well, because I've been hearing it since I was a little kid. Hasn't happened yet. But it's how we are. We, we take this so lightly. This was really serious business that, that Joseph was having to deal with. You know, you might think, it's, well, it's not so bad. He had an angel. The angel came to him in a dream. A dream. And said, hey, don't be afraid. Take her as wife. Why would Joseph not be afraid? Why would he be so confident to just get up and do what the angel had said? I mean, I want you to take it to a scripture in Deuteronomy to show you how serious this situation was. Deuteronomy 22.20 20 says, But if the thing is true, and the evidence of virginity, of virginity is not found for the young woman. Well, I'd say the evidence is pretty real. She's pregnant. Okay? There's evidence there. Then they shall bring the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. Do you realize they were still living under the Mosaic law? Jesus was just now being born. He had to born and live his, be born and live his life and fulfill all the gospel say. And be crucified on the cross before the new covenant ever came. This was law in which they lived by. This was way far beyond the seriousness that we as Americans think. You know, because nowadays people live together before they get married. They, get, they have kids before they get married. They do all these things. We're, we're so accustomed to it. We just won't even think anything about it anymore. But this was serious business. And Matthew was dealing with it, and he has a dream. Joseph had chose to bear the pain of having an unfaithful wife, yet he has chosen not to take his rights of vengeance. This is the exact display of character of this man. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because in this Jewish culture, young men were taught the Bible. He knew the prophet Isaiah. He knew of them. He knew the prophecies. When the angels came to him and said, an angel of the Lord came and said, the virgin is going to bear a son. He remembered. That's in Isaiah. I remember that. I was taught that. That's the only thing that he had to stand on is what he knew. Matthew 1.24, it says, Then Joseph, being aroused in his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took him his wife. Wow. Yeah. 
you know, it, it kind of brings up a thought is like, well, can God really speak to you in a dream? Yes, I can. There have been times in my life where I have been so unbelievably distressed that I thought that I didn't even sleep last night. You ever been there? And, and, but yet I did sleep, obviously. I, I laid there in bed, but I thought that I, I didn't sleep at all. This is where Joseph was. I mean, think about it. He goes to bed, and he's thinking all this thing. Do I have a stone? Do I do? But the book of Isaiah said this. Could this be God? Is this the really thing? Is she lying to me? Is she telling the truth? Is everything, is this God? And then he has this dream that had to be so phenomenally real. So yes, God can speak to you in a dream. I was telling Sean this morning about... We were talking about the potential names for his, his new daughter. And I love those conversations. Those, those are special. And it reminded me one, I wasn't even thinking about it in this service, but before my son Ben was born, see, this is 30 years ago, we didn't know he was a boy. We just knew he was having a baby. And uh, we were debating over what to call him. And I had a dream. And the dream was so vivid and so real. I was walking through the grocery store, Price Co. At that time, it was called Albertsons. Wow. Yeah, it goes back a ways. I was carrying this little boy in my arms, about the size of Phoebe, about the age of Phoebe. And I said, Ben, what do you think of this? And he laughed and get, what do you think of that, Ben? In my dream. I woke up the next morning, I told my wife, I said, I know our son's name. She goes, what? And I said, Ben. She goes, you mean Benjamin? Well, you can call him that you want, but I'm calling him Ben. And that's what we named him. So yes, God can speak to us in a dream. He knows the name of your child, Sean. Whatever you guys work out, he already knows, and he's working you towards that right name. Because names are so important. Joseph had knowledge of the, of the scripture, is why he was able to do what he did. He accepted it. He believed God. The Jews at this time had waited a long time. Had waited a long time for the Messiah. About as long as we've been waiting. How many of you can tell me you remember when you were a little kid saying, Jesus is coming? Better be good. We can talk about Santa Claus now. Jesus is coming. You better be good. And he is coming. We've all been hearing it since, since we were little kids. And see, I'm going to try to show you. This is where I was, I was telling my brother Tim, and I'm going to pick on Janice if she's listening to this a little later on. She's not here to hear it in person, Janice. <laughs> that uh, I was telling Tim... I said, this title of this message is Joseph, the unsung hero, but I didn't put in the title along with a hard right. A hard right turn. You see, this is what we have to understand. This is where I'm hoping to be able to pull it together. The people of Israel, the children of Israel at this time have been waiting for this Messiah for a couple thousand years. They knew he was coming, but they were waiting. And waiting. 
and waiting. And they begin to get a little lackluster in their, in their lives, in the way things were being run. In fact, I would like to say it was, it was say they, they potentially we could have called them lukewarm. Lukewarm. You see, because there was so much going on, the religious institute at that time was, had come to a place where it was all about the money. They, they would sell you your sacrifice. You know, they would sell you the things that you would come in and, and, they, and they would charge you more than they should be charging you. And people were getting discouraged and, and they were going, I don't know about the synagogue stuff, man. We've been waiting for Jesus. So we've been hearing that. They were talking about that in Moses' time and it's not happened. It's not happened. In fact, to see the lackluster, when Christ was born, where were, where were the high priests? Where were they at? Why didn't they run out to worship the Savior? We got some shepherds. And we got the magi from some 2,000 miles away that traveled some two years to get there. They saw it. They recognized. But the Jewish people did not. They did not see it. They did not believe it. They had become to a place in their, I can't call it Christianity because Christ hadn't been born yet and Christ hadn't died yet, so there wasn't any such thing as a Christian at this time, but in their faith, they had become lukewarm. And that's truly what I want to talk about today is us today, how similar we are to them. Because we've been hearing this all our lives. Jesus is coming. Oh, we get excited at Christmas because, hey, we get to give some gifts, and we get some gifts. And it's, it's a fun time to remember, yeah, Jesus was born. Yeah, I love baby Jesus. Yeah. Everybody loves baby Jesus. But do we really remember that he said that he was going to return for his bride? And that we are that bride. But we've come to a place where we're living in what I call a lukewarm Christianity. I'm going to read you a definition of this lukewarm Christianity. Now, before it potentially could offend anyone, I didn't write this. But I am going to read it because it is profound. And it's not my objective to offend you. Unless it offended you to say, you know what, I've got to change then praise God for that offense. Because I, I, I say the things I say, and I preach the things that I preach because I love you. And it's serious. And I don't want to see anybody go to hell. Oh, we're talking about going to hell now? We're Christians. <laughs> Let me read this to you. You are neither heathens nor Christians, neither good nor evil, neither led away by false doctrine, nor thoroughly addicted to that which is true. In a word, you are listless and indifferent, and seemed to care little whether heathenism or Christianity prevails." Though they, the lukewarm Christian, may feel little zeal 
either for salvation of their own souls or for that of others, yet they had such a general conviction of the truth and the importance of Christianity, they could not readily give it up. Christians believe that they are Christians and are not anywhere near ready to just throw in the towel and say, I'm just going to hang down at the loggers on Sundays and that from now on. But yet they're not willing to change and to realize the truth that Jesus Christ is coming. Fact is, if you go into Matthew, I should have put it into this message and start reading the predictions that Jesus made of how the world was going to turn before his coming. You would read it and look at the news and go, we need to look up. Because he is coming. He is coming. And we have to know that and believe that and have it in our hearts. But we become lukewarm. Actually, I could call it a pink Christianity. If, if red, red hot meant you're on hot for Jesus, you're on fire for Jesus, then I would say we're living kind of in a pink world. Kind of lukewarm for Jesus. We sum up the terms lukewarm Christianity or cafeteria Christianity or Christian apathy by using this term, pink Christianity. Pink because Christ bled, Christ bled red blood on the cross and we've diluted it and numbed it down the truth of that sacrifice to the color of about Pepto-Bismol. Hey, this is the truth, guys. I realize it's really quiet in the room right now. I realize that. And I pray, like I said earlier, don't you dare be offended, because if you're offended, be concerned. Come talk to me, because I love you. But we have to find that first love that we found when we came to Jesus Christ. You remember when you got saved? I couldn't believe that a God would choose a guy like me to die for. Preach it. But I haven't been all that on fire in a long time, man. Giving up worship this morning was so powerful because he did that for me. You don't know who I am. And I'm not proud of who I used to be. I certainly am not worthy to be standing here. But he did it for me. He did it for you. And if we don't get excited about this, there is something wrong with our Christianity. I'll tell you what it is. It's pink. It's pink Christianity. We've done this by our bad societal compromises, by believing identities about ourselves and about others, and by excusing injustice in our lives, churches and neighborhoods on the basis of tolerance. Beloved, Christ did not die that we should live a heathen lifestyle rooted and grounded in nothing to spend eternity with God. 
we are going to spend, if we make it, if we're blessed enough to make it, we are going to spend an eternity with God. What are we going to stand on? This pink Christianity that we've dealt with here? It's not acceptable in heaven. He wants us red hot. He wants us on fire for Him. Rather, He did not die. Excuse me. Rather, He died for love that we might find freedom from the bondage of death. As is expressed, as it is expressed in every form of addiction to temporal and fleshy things of this life, as well as it is expressed in our morality. Shedding the pink in our life starts with daily choosing to live atop the foundation of truth. Truth is found and specified in the Holy Bible. Have you read yours lately? Coming to church, I'm so blessed. We got a house full this morning. Praise God you're here. I'm so proud of you. I hope you're not sitting there in your seats going, I wish we hadn't come here today. Because <laughs> like he's a... I love you. And God loves you. And we need to get this thing on fire. And that fire needs to encompass our, our community. That we're in love with a God who loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. There is so much in the Bible that talks about lukewarmness. I'll take you down a few scriptures. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Okay, let me stop there for a second. He's not talking about trees. Okay? He's not talking about the grass, the blue skies. He's not talking. We love this world. God created this world. You want to see a little bit of what heaven's going to be like? Look at its creation around us. It's phenomenal. He's not talking about do not love the world, this place that we live. He's not talking about that at all. When he talks about the world in the scripture, he's talking about an attitude. An attitude of living the wrong way. <clears throat> Listen, it says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay, we can figure it out pretty quick. The lust of the flesh. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Okay? Can we just be honest? Can we just say it? Sinful living. Unfiltered. Doing what you want to do because you want to do it. The lust of the eyes. What are you looking at? What are you looking at on your computer screen? What are you looking at on your TV? Is it things that would cause you to look at God and say, isn't that miraculous what God is doing? 
Or is it something that would feed the flesh, the world, full of lustful thoughts? The pride of life. The pride of life. <laughs> Joe and I talked about this one a little bit. I talked about first two. I said, first two, easy. What's this pride of life thing? She said, oh, that's easy. She had the answer. How about those of us who think we're better than those who are out there doing the other two things? See, we're better than those guys because we're not doing that. I'm better than those people that, you know, were smoking cigarettes and drinking beer when we drove by and waved at them and break. I'm better than those guys. No, my friends, I am one of them guys. I don't smoke anymore or drink anymore. Praise God for that. But I am one of those people. They're my brothers and sisters. And I love them. But you see, a pride of life, we tend to get on a pedestal and, and kind of get above things and think that we're, we're better. And, and yes, we put money in the church offering when it goes by. And yes, we clap our hands when, yes, yes, we praise God. Yes, I'm better than those people over there. All right, I'll move on. 2 Timothy 4, 5, 4 verses 5 and 3 through 5. Just let me say 2 Timothy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Oh! There's a time that'll come when people, I'll be preaching a message like this, they'll get up and walk out. Don't you dare move. <laughs> then you'll know we're talking about you. But it's the truth. People will get up and walk out. They don't want to, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear that we're, we need to, to, to really believe what we say we believe. Because believe me, whatever comes out of your mouth is truly what you believe. So what's coming out of your mouth? We need to think about these things. We're human beings. We're people. We, we have lives. And we, we do stupid things because we're stupid. Stupid people and just the way I am. But I have to look at what's coming out. Because if, if I'm not filtering or paying attention to what's coming out, then what's going in? What's feeding that? So let's go back to 2 Timothy. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own, des but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, and they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They will pick for themselves teachers who will not teach them the truth, but will just tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. Praise God. It's wonderful to see y'all here. Y'all go home now. That's what happens in a lot of churches today. If they were bold enough to preach something like I'm preaching now, they'd run me out. I hope you guys go. <laughs> they will turn their ears from the truth. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, but you be watchful in all things, endure the affliction, and do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry people. There, he's talking about you. Do the work of an evangelist. 
How many people do you get to minister to every day, Tim? All kinds, I'm sure. You get the opportunity to be in their houses. Sometimes on a bad day, they ain't got no water. And you say, praise God, let me help you fix that. And that means a lot. Every day we need to be doing the work of evangelists. Every one of you are involved with people, people that I will not get to see, people that you get to see, your relatives, your loved ones, the people you work with. Are you doing the work of an evangelist? An evangelist spreads the gospel. Calm down, George. Let's go to James. James chapter 1. I know you Bible scholars, you're probably thinking right now, oh no, pastor, don't go to James. Because he was tough on us. He says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Man, we need to post that on our refrigerator. We need to look at that every single day. Swift to hear and slow to speak. Just slow it down a little bit. Think before you insert foot into your mouth. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, for wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow all wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Able to save your souls. Ah, we need to be in the Word. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm a lazy individual. I really am. I mean, I got great work ethics. I get up, I go to work, I, I, I do my thing. But when it comes to, you know, I could. I praise God. He puts me in a position I have to read. I have to study. I have to research. I have to find these scriptures and put them all together. If I didn't have to, folks, I probably wouldn't be reading it much. Is there anybody else here? I'm speaking. Thank you for your honesty because we're people and we're busy. We got lives. We got babies. We got work. We got all this stuff going on. You want me to take time to read the Bible? Yes. Terry, that is your very best friend. It's your closest confidant. It's what's going to save you. It just said it. It said it right there. It will save us. You have to know the word. It has to be in you. In order for that word to begin to work, you've got to know it. Let's see if I can get something a little easier here. He goes on saying, verse 22, it's there. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. That's what happens when we hear the word and we go, yes, amen, and we just let it go. And we don't be doers of the word. We have to be doers of the word. We have to get this into where it's a part of us. Be doers. 
You're deceiving yourselves. For if everyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For when he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. I thought about it. It'd be mean though. Y'all would probably run me out there. I thought about bringing a mirror. <laughs> and ask you if you knew what kind of man or woman you are. I love you guys so much. I hope you know that. I wouldn't even go close to preaching something like this if I didn't love you so much. So let's close it up by going to Revelation chapter 3. It says, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish... You were cold or hot. This is Jesus talking to you. Do you understand what he just said? I know your works. He knows you personally. He knows you. And he said that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. You want to know why? A person that is lukewarm Christianity, you can't teach them nothing. They're going to get mad, want to plug their ears and say, that didn't make me feel good at all, I'm going to leave. And I'm probably not going to go back and hear that little short fat guy over there, because he just tells me what I'm supposed to be like. And I don't like that. So I'm going to go over here to this church over here that just tells me things I want to hear. You know, the good stuff. We like Joseph. Talk about Joseph. Let's get back to Joseph. But a guy who is neither hot nor cold, I can work with that guy. I can work with him. I can do something good for that guy. And that guy may say, why would you do that for me? Beautiful opportunity, isn't it? Let somebody ahead of you in the grocery store line. You know that little... Uh, at McDonald's now, the new McDonald's over there, they got two lines going through there, and it filters into one. But it just freaks people out when you're sitting there and you go, <laughs> go ahead, God bless. Because everybody's racing it. I think it's wrong the way they did that. They got two people ordering, and it's a race to get the first car in there for the air car to get in. <laughs> no, I don't go to McDonald's. Never. I've seen it, somebody told me about that. Anyway, you can do something with someone who is neither cold nor hot. There's someone there that's workable. God has respect for a man who does not choose him. He respects that man. You made a choice. And you're going to live by that choice. Good for you. Shake your hand. Because you made a choice. You're not over here acting like you're a Christian, but not being one. He would much rather shake your hand and say, if you don't choose me, that's fine. I love you, brother. Bye. Than to have you act like a Christian that's not going to listen to anything that he has to say. Guys, I don't normally preach this song. 
It's good preaching, y'all. Good preaching. But I, I don't want you to worry, Savannah. I want you to come back. Don't worry. I'll get something nice for Christmas. If we got singing next week, sing. Cool. He says, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You guys know who's talking here? Is it clear enough? I wrote this on the bottom, and I said, a lukewarm person believes he is saved, and he has no reason to respond to this message. A lukewarm person believes he is saved. And I believe you are too. But we got to get out of that lukewarmness. And we got to get hot. We got to start caring about our neighbor, our kids, our husband, those, those of us who aren't serving God. I, I haven't counted. How many have we got in here, Marvin, today? Did you count? No, you didn't count already. I'd say we got about 50. So if each one of you brought one person, we'd have 100. Because you love your neighbor. Well, Pastor, they'd probably run out of here if they heard you preaching like this. That's why I'm preaching just to y'all right now. I'll be nice to your friends and neighbors. Tony, would you come, please? I'm going to wind this up. And uh, guy said I need a new phone. <laughs>